Hey there, everyone. From beautiful Fort Collins, Colorado, halfway between Cheyenne and Denver, and 5,003 feet above sea level, I'm Jeff Haber, and you're listening to No Bed of Roses. No Bed of Roses is brought to you by Conexus. Maybe your company is creating video content or you're a brand looking for that coveted direct connection with viewers. Maybe you're an established YouTube creator or you're just starting out. Conexus Interactive Web Video Solutions enables viewers while watching your videos to simply tap on the items they're interested in, directly connecting them to the merchant's shopping cart to easily purchase those items. This all happens without ever leaving the video experience and without ever leaving the site where they started watching the video in the first place. Connexus shoppable video content works using any browser on any device. No download, no plugin, nothing to install. Interactive video like you've always wanted it. Find out more at connexus.com. That's K-E-N-X-U-S dot com. Welcome back, everyone. Kevin Hall joins us today to share more adventures in travel. Whether going south of the border or to Southeast Asia, the experiences we have and share while traveling are ones that shape us and shape our worldview. There's never any guarantee that a trip or an experience is going to be exactly what we planned. Maybe we didn't even have a specific plan. Our preconceived ideas may very well wind up being challenged, repackaged, or trashed altogether, and sometimes we might find ourselves a bit out over our skis and then some. As we're hopefully in the fourth quarter of the pandemic, Kevin and I take this time to think through why travel is so important to all of us and our individual and collective mental health, well-being, and mutual understanding and acceptance of each other. Or not, here's Kevin. We went down with our friends to south of the border to Mexico. We were on our way back. We stopped at a statuary factory, right? Uh-huh. You see uh-huh. a ton of those benches and pedestals and, and fountains, beautiful fountains. And my friend Eris speaks six or seven different languages. So big Israeli guy, six, six, four, six, five. And he said, my friend, let me, let me do the negotiating. I spoke broken Spanish, no, you know, not like you, beautiful, fluent Spanish, but Eris speaks beautiful Spanish. I said, sure, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> do the negotiating. So, hola, amigo, como estamos? And, you know, I, I get the beginning, and then and then he just stops. And, and he, I see a cuanto, you know, talking, and then and then he stops, and I go, what's going on? And he, he said, I'm just going to give him 50 bucks. I go, well, what happened to negotiating? And he said, well, because we had picked out all this stuff, he said, the guy told me take everything for fifteen dollars. I can't, I can't. I can't. Yeah. I, I can't take. So just let's give him here. Give me twenty five bucks. Give him fifty dollars. Yeah, because we picked out you know the, the two fountains, and we had those fountains, Kevin. For I want to say I had a, we had our fountain almost fifteen years or something. Is that right? Oh, oh my God. it was yeah. it was beautiful. It, it, beautiful. It made the trip to to Austin, but uh, and we took bench pedestals to set the fountains. I mean, it was cool. We picked all these pieces and some smaller stuff that wall art. And I'm, you know, I'm thinking, ah, oh, it's got to be like, man, it's kind of 150, 200 bucks worth of stuff here, probably, right? Mm-hmm, Which mm-hmm. it would have been in L.A. easily at, right. marked up. And so then when I just saw Eric's face drop, and he goes, yeah, give, give me twenty five dollars, I'll give him fifty bucks. Well, what was the negotiation? Yeah. yeah, he said, take all of it for fifteen. It's oh my god, crazy, for right? Fifteen one five. Yeah, one fifteen dollars, and they were making oh it right there. The kids were mixing yeah. the cement. They were casting everything right there. They would, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Mexico. Short little day trip from from L.A. You want to go down to Baja? I found it depressing my, myself. Yeah, Baja can be kind of rough. Yeah, Baja, Rosarita, know, is... and uh, I just my friends love going to the beach there. Californians always do, and I just I find it depressing when traveling 
it's really, I don't know about you, Kevin, and you've traveled quite a bit to see that level of poverty. And then yeah. I'm chilling on the beach. Yeah. Uh, it's, I, I mean, I, it, I can't, I can't, I, I can't relax. Yeah, totally. It's, it's sort of an incongruency. It's like, it doesn't quite, it doesn't quite fit. And, and there is, it's such a, like this disparity, you know, if you're, if you're even like at a business conference or something in San Diego, like so often there are, you know, of course, pre COVID, but the, the big business conferences like the ASR trade shows or any trade show, you name it. And a lot of times people just pop down to Tijuana in the, in the evenings for drinks or go to the clubs. And I mean, it's, it's obviously you're, you're going to a different country, but yeah, spending the day or spending an afternoon or an overnight weekend going down to Ensenada or Rosarito or whatever, it's, uh, it, it's definitely can be hard to kind of wrap your brain around and, and able to sort of literally conceptualize how extreme. And that it's it just on the other, that, that there's a physical, there's this wall, this border, yeah. this man-made thing. Let's say 500 yards in either direction. You've got wonderful affluence and then right. destitute poverty. It's You it's, can yell to somebody and go, hey, you got enough to eat? No, we don't. No, They're that close. Right. Yeah. Pollution and challenges oh. and corruption and it's it's gotten worse now even yeah. in, in the years since we've lived there. It's now that's it's pretty wild. And then you go like a little further down into mainland Mexico. And it's it's bizarre to me that I think the media and, and a lot of just sort of like public consciousness tends to portray Mexico as like all of Mexico is Tijuana, you know, and it's so not that. And, you know, you go down into mainland Mexico or like the capital city or the Mayan Riviera and you have some of the most extraordinarily beautiful historic places in the world. Um, San Miguel de Allende or, or Querétaro or, you know, there are these places that like have Mayan ruins and it's just I've always thought it'd be kind of interesting to take especially I don't know to what end, but I mean, when, when there's such a sort of a narrow view on something like here, just come along, we're going to do like a field trip and, and open your eyes and see how extraordinary and, and how, how far off the reality really is from what it's being portrayed as, because there, there are just some amazing places. That's certainly true in Mexico. And we were just talking about a, a border situation. You probably could throw a dart at the map and pick any border city or town and find pretty similar situations. But I will say also that as you travel, you don't have to just be in a border area to experience that incredible disparity. What place did you go to, Kevin, where you feel, where you experienced the most extreme version? It, it, and maybe you have more than one, but is there a place that you traveled in the world where you saw and experienced that kind of disparity that I'm talking about? This is a thing that I've learned sort of about myself. I like to be able to blend sometimes or just be a native of wherever I go. You know, in some places that's possible. In some places that's definitely not possible. Oh, and you blend. No, you don't blend the certain places you go. My aunt and uncle live in Thailand. They live in Chiang Mai. They, they go between Hong Kong, actually, and Chiang Mai. And uh, they spend a lot of time in, in Chiang Mai. And our cousin, their daughter, was actually born in Chiang Mai. Chiang Mai is in northern Thailand, almost to the Myanmar border. Like as you're sort of getting into the mountain range where Mount Everest is. We went to a Muay Thai kickboxing match at a place called Lumpini Stadium in Bangkok. Lumpini is sort of like the Madison Square Gardens if you were to go watch like a Mike Tyson fight in New York, but in Thailand. So a know, premier venue. It's a big a deal. A premier venue, yes. Right. Okay. Tuk-tuks are those little three-wheel motorized rickshaws that you use to get around kind of like a taxi cab. You just, you know, flag down a tuk-tuk and you hop in. You say, I want to go to Lumpini or I want to go to Wat Brakau or Temple of the Emerald Buddha or wherever you want to go. And they tell you, okay, that's going to be this many baht, how much money. And you get in and you go. And English, and, uh, most English, or are you speaking, do you speak any Thai? I can say hello and and a couple of words like, Sawati Krap. Kapkum Krap. Kapkum Krap. Kapkum Krap. Kapkum Krap. Yeah, ah, yes, D, D, which is good. And then you can say, Sabai D, Mike. It's like, it's going good, right? That was about the extent of it, you know, when you're flagging down the, the tuk-tuk or saying hello to somebody initially, but then between trying to translate and have your little translation dictionary and, you know, them being able to hopefully speak some English, you get it figured out. This particular scenario was, imagine sort of the setting, if you set the tone with like, 
a nighttime sort of Blade Runner aesthetic, you know, steamy, hot, I guess, post-modernistic future time frame when there there's like steam coming out through the, the manholes and the gutters and it's tropical and there are monsoons and it's it's sort of all very surreal and lots of neon and food smells wafting from every direction and just madness with traffic and people and humanity and chaos and everything what time of what time of year is this april during the monsoons monsoon season yeah monsoon season Mm -hmm. and um so we're coming out of lumpini after we had watched you know several muay thai matches and we had heard that that, what was that uh, like i'm i'm picturing scenes out of the deer hunter where yeah, Chris absolutely. Walken is yeah, like that, <laughs> that smoke and that mow, mow, and the yelling and just the insanity. Yes, is, yes. <laughs> is it it's very cinematic. You walk into huh? the stadium from the outside and it's, it's, a, it's the building Lumpini is, it's, it's, you know, a very elegant looking building and fancy from the outside, but you go in, there's the ring, of course, and the, the up close seats, which, you know, in American dollars, they're not very much. It's probably like 20 or $30 for literally like, you know, ringside seats. A little ways outside of the ringside seats, they literally have chain link fences going up into the stand. So you can like stand outside the chain link fence. And then there are almost like bleachers that go all the way around the entire building, which is, I don't know, inside's probably like the size of like five or six high school gymnasiums. Corrugated metal roof. And so when the when the monsoon rains are pouring down, it's like just pounding and hammering the roof and there's thunder and lightning and the whole place is shaking. And then when the fight sort of reaches this crescendo, this sort of feverish pitch, and one of one of the fighters is sort of gaining the upper hand, there's like this this chanting that comes from the audience and they're they're going D, 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 D. D and D is good in right. Thai, and and they're chanting D D D, and it's like this animalistic sort of heartbeat, sort of primal thump that's like dum, 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 shaking the entire building. And it was Thunderdome. So, this is Thunderdome. Thunderdome yeah. Absolute Thunderdome. Yeah. Wild. You know, all of the pre the pre fight sort of rituals and ceremonies where they have the fighters come out. You know, and I think I think in the U.S when you're watching like a heavyweight title bout, you know, with these athletes that are like 200 pounds plus, you got to kind of, I I had become sort of accustomed to that sort of thing. And when you see these young guys that are like 16, 17, 18 years old, and they're literally like 85, 90 pounds, they're little teeny guys. I mean, and they go up into sort of the welterweight division, but the biggest athletes, I think of that night, you know, and, and we're talking like championship bouts and title bouts and whatnot, probably 145, 155. I mean, they're, they're, they're lean, tough as nails, kick trees with their shins to build up the calluses on their shins so they can they can do these roundhouse kicks with the entire strength and force of the piece of, of surface that basically goes between the knee and the ankle is like what they're kicking you with, um, like their entire shin. And so there's a huge ceremony, a huge ritual with drums and flutes and music. And, you know, it's a, a Buddhist society predominantly. And so there's a lot of Buddhist ritual and there are special headdresses and arm decorations. And they come and they do these, it's almost like a dance where they're moving around and like spinning their arms and like bowing. And then when, when that's all finished and there's music playing and drums playing, they go to their corners and their coaches take their headdresses off and then do more of these sort of ceremonial religious blessings and and, and then they're they're ready to fight. They go. And are and, they fighting uh, in just regular Nike trunks or something like that, Kevin? Or, or are they in a traditional kind of traditional Muay Thai kickboxing shorts? Yeah. It looks like a like a very fancy silk nylon with a lot of the mm-hmm. really so beautiful, elaborate. really like elaborate, yeah. colorful, and shiny. And so it's just the shorts. Some of the athletes will wear like wraps around their ankles. And they have these light gloves. They have got these sort of arm decorations that go right above their bicep, like between their bicep and their shoulder. That's very tight. That stays on, I think, during the fight. Got a referee, fighters in each corner, ready to go, ready to go. Yes, go. And they just, they go at it. Is there a mic? Do they drop a mic from the ceiling or anything? Or are they they just yelling? It's it's kind of similar to some of the Western things where they uh do the announcements and they're like, in this corner, we have, you know, this guy. But all in Thai, right? They're not doing it in, in English. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's, there are very few American tourists. It's weird. I mean, when we were there anyway, I mean, there, there are a lot of tourists from, from Germany. Europe, yeah. Germany yeah. And, and Australia and, and, you know, Japan and, but not a ton of Americans. That was such a, 
a sensory, I wouldn't say overload, but I mean, it was such a, you know, I love the experience of being someplace where you're experiencing and seeing and absorbing something that you've absolutely never seen before, maybe in movies or maybe like, you know, on TV or something. But and um, how, how was the crowd, Kevin? No, so it's you and Kristen Lee. You're mm-hmm. a, a white couple. You're standing out because you said yep. there aren't a lot of Americans. Were there a lot of tourists or even a lot? There's probably what? Maybe you're, maybe 20 tourists are taking in something like this? Yeah, Small, a handful of tourists. Handful, I right? mean, the, the, there were some like, I remember being next to Japanese tourists because I could hear them speaking Japanese and you know the guy was really like housing Kristen to the point where we finally switched places you know it was what was he doing just kind of like you know like I'm I know that there's a a lady a gal sitting next to me so I'm gonna like you know make sure that my presence is known and like spread myself out on my seat and like touching her and kept like you know fold going over onto her seat and she kept scooting ever closer to me finally to where she's like can you switch me please oh man it was a Japanese couple or it was tourist some guy some like businessman type of thing big Mm. big kind of like big guy sitting there doing his you know annoying behavior and uh, so so we switched and and he gave me plenty of space he wasn't trying to you know like uh his legs over on my you know legs or scoops over to my seat what about the thai crowd or the rest of the crowd i mean just no just i was just gonna say chill but they're not chill it's 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 a pretty pretty energized blood sport sport. i mean there's tons of gambling going on and money changing hands and back and forth and cigarettes as a mouth and hey you know like back and forth and like now i'm betting on this guy and we're going and it's like there's always this sort of ever present sort of under undercurrent of corruption and things are always a little sketchy and any security you know, guards, any cops. Oh not yeah. Like yeah. There's cops yeah. and uh, yeah. armed people with uh-huh. like sort of like the military regalia and combat boots and gear and weapons and stuff. And so it's intense. It's definitely, um, it's a treat for the senses. A treat for the senses. Okay. So you do that thing, you have your treat for your senses and you head out and what happens next? So you're heading out and you, you know, the fight's over. You probably watched like five or six matches. And so after those fights are, are done, the place is letting out and it's, you know, flooding out into the streets and it's nighttime. It's probably, I don't know, 10, 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. It's raining. It's wet. It's, there's the smell of food carts and hot food cooking. And so if you imagine like the smell of Thai food with like lots of curries, kenkari and like red curry and green curry and like your mystery meat of every kind and all of this stuff steaming off of these, these crazy like food carts. Oh, it makes me want to be there right now. <laughs> makes me just want to stand right there and breathe deeply. Breathe? Am I making uh, you hungry? Breathe, no. Is it about lunchtime? Oh, man. I want a piece of that. Uh, no, no. Uh, okay, so uh, you got us there. You got us there. We wanted to go to Padpong Market. It's it's like a year-round outdoor market, like a flea market, where you oh. can pretty much buy anything. Like you can buy fake Rolexes and even and small small children. Can you buy small probably, children? I, w- I wouldn't doubt it. I mm-hmm. really, honestly, one hundred percent wouldn't doubt it. Mm-hmm. We're trying to flag down a tuk tuk driver to take us, and I'm looking at a map. I mean, I have a paper map in my hand, so I have a relatively good sense of where Padpong Market is. We had been in in Bangkok for a couple of days, so I'm you know pretty good sense of the geographical location where we were and where we needed to get to. We find a guy with a tuk-tuk, and we go up and we say, Sabaydi, um, Mike, you know, like uh, Padpong Market? And he said, Seafood, Thai food? And we said, No, 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 um, Padpong Market. And he goes, and he like does the motion with his hands to his mouth, Seafood, Thai food, restaurant? And we said, No, 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 Padpong Market. We're showing on the map, you know, the picture of Padpong Market. And then he nods and said, Oh, Padpong Market. And we're like, yes, yes, Padpong Market, please. <laughs> oh, and, Padpong and- Market, because I was easily confused with seafood Thai food. <laughs> exactly, so, and, and he's going seafood Thai food, and yeah. so. But and I say, so okay, it's going to be seven baht or whatever to get to Padpong Market. Great. He goes seafood Thai food Padpong. No, 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 just Padpong, Padpong Market, please. And he goes seafood Thai food Padpong, and he's smiling and nodding. And he has kind of like this weird nervous tick where his head. Like was tw- and I remember it vividly because like while we were riding in the back of his tuk-tuk, you know, with bald tires and like you know screeching in and out of like L.A. level traffic, <laughs> but in in Padpong Market at you know t- eleven o'clock at night in the monsoon season in Bangkok, Thailand. I guess naively we're like, yeah, okay. If you get us somewhere near there, we'll be fine, right? And is he like- is he spitting that stuff? What is that stuff, Kevin? That they. 
oh, um, there's like some kind of it's like bot, but it's not. It's like a stuff that's like a, like a little bit of a stimulant. Right? Yes, like and they it, it's, yeah. it's spit all over the place. Everybody sticks it in there. It's like uh, yeah. like kind of like chewing tobacco or uh, um, uh, skull kind of stuff. But what, yeah, I remember seeing a lot of that stuff. Yeah, this guy, I don't think this guy that. was doing that. He was just like, we're going all right. Well. He did say Pad Pong, so there, maybe there's a there's a, a Thai restaurant near this Pad Pong market. And, it's know, probably where he's going to be dropping us off. It's probably <laughs> probably the terminal there is seafood <laughs> Thai food at Pad Pong Market. Okay, yeah. So, you're, so you're, we're like, okay, you're all right, seven yourself. Bot. This is good, right? This, let's do it. Yeah, let's, let's, let's hop go. in. Is you know, is this you know? Did you get the um, Department of Transportation sticker? You know, certified <laughs> on the side of your right your, uh, tag? No, you know, so you hop in the thing. And literally, I mean, we're going on these these clovers inner exchanges on highways, and there's traffic, and it's like zoom, zoom, zoom. And like my aunt and uncle told me, he said they said, you know, from a Buddhist perspective, nirvana is in the afterlife. So the 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 appreciation or the evaluation on the current human existence is totally different. Fear of death is a totally different thing. We're not good we're to not, know when riding in a tuk tuk with bald tires. Yeah, <laughs> right. And like, <laughs> like <laughs> trucks and cars and other motorcycles, and they're like gooing around us and weaving in and out of traffic. And we're like, oh my, this is like white knuckle. And you know, meanwhile, the guy's like head is twitching, like doing his nervous tick. We're like, God, does this guy have all those faculties? You know, I don't know. It's probably a fifteen minute ride, probably 15, 20 minute ride in the tuk tuk. And lo and behold. Go figure, big surprise. Here we go. We're pulling up to and I'm looking at my map. I'm going, wait a minute. No, no, no. This is not this is not the street for Padpong Market. This is no. And so we're pulling up and it's a restaurant. And this maitre D sort of guy with like slick back, dark black hair and like a goatee. And he's like, Good evening. Come your seafood Thai food. And he's got menus in his hand and, and we're going, No, 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 thank you. No, right, we're, th- we're, right there at the curb. He's out yeah, there. Yeah, he's like pulling us up. We pull up this, this driveway thing. There's like yeah. these gates, these sort of like wrought iron gate that's sort of decorative, and you're pulling down this driveway to where like the entrance main entry into this restaurant was. We said, no, no, this is a mistake. Sorry. We are trying to go to Pad Pong Market. And he's like, no, you come in. Seafood Thai food. And we're like, no, no, thank you. We don't want seafood Thai food. We told the tuk-tuk driver Pad Pong Market. Is, he, is the driver still there? Twitching? Yeah, oh, he was right there. We were barely stepped foot out of the, uh, the out of the tuk tuk. We're standing okay. right right next to it. Right. And, and Kristen's getting pretty pissed off at that point. I'm trying to be diplomatic, and she's like, "He took us to the wrong place on purpose. He knew where we wanted to go. This is the wrong place. We're not paying him." I'm like, "No, no, it's fine. We'll pay him. That's okay. I think I think Pad Pong Market's only a few bucks away. We can walk." And and the guys, the maitre D is going, "No, no, no, no. Pad Pong Market. It's raining." Padpong market not open when raining. And I'm like, what are you talking about? It rains every day of the year. It's monsoons. It's got it's hundred percent it's open. There's no way it's not open. You come in first. You come inside for seafood Thai food. And and I, I, I'm more. sorry, but I have the actor James Hong just and you know you know this actor. No, no, no. It's just a wonderful character actor. I just have yeah, him. Totally. Yeah, that's exactly me, I'm uh, expecting like, a call. Costanza? Yes, I just got a call. Uh, I yell, Cartwright, Cartwright, just like that. Nobody came up, I hang up. Well, was it for Costanza or? Yes, yes, that's it. Nobody answered. <laughs> was it a woman? Yes, yes. I tell her, you're not here. She said curse word, I hang up. <laughs> Padpong market not open when raining. It's fully just so full of shit. Like, you know, just that's like that's like saying like it's it's not open during daylight hours. It's like it's 100 percent open. There's just no red two ways about it. Kristen's pissed off. She's like, we're not paying him. He took us to the wrong place on purpose. And then meanwhile, here comes another tuk tuk up the driveway and some sunburnt. Germans looking around, confused. Where, wait, what? It's good. No, nine, 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 nine. Wait, you know, the, the, wait a minute. You took us to the wrong place. And Kristen starts yelling at them. Where did you want to go? Did they want to take you to a different place? Where were you supposed to go right now? What was you know? Were, were you trying to go to this restaurant? And they're like nine, nine. And so she's kind of making a scene. Now an international they're, they're, scene. An you international got Germans, scene. Americans, and Thai. It's good. You know, yeah, sunburnt, sunburnt Ameri- uh, German Socks tourists. Socks and sandals. Are like looking confused. Yeah. yeah, with their with their Bermuda shorts yeah. and their. There are several other 
tuk-tuk drivers just sort of chilling out. They're parked along the side, like if you imagine like a taxi stand at the airport, right? Like they're all kind of like lined up along this restaurant waiting for their next call or waiting for the next fare. From what we learned, a feeder school of, of like viable up-and-coming employees to run the, the tuk-tuk driving fleet are retired kickboxers. You know, your, your kickboxing career typically goes to when you're like 9, 19 or so. And you've been kicked in the head enough where you get that twitchy thing that your driver had and you're done. And now you're a yeah. tuk-tuk driver. And, right. and the tuk-tuk drivers are run by these corrupt organizations that, you know, are sort of operating outside the boundaries of whatever sort of semblance of, of law there is even in, in the first place. It's all very super corrupt and they're, you know starting to, to, you know, put their attention on us because where did you, no, no, we're going to pad bong market. We're not going in. We're not paying you. We're not doing anything. And I'm just going, love here. Just it's seven bot. That's probably like a dollar 50. Let's just give it to the guy and we'll walk. And it's okay. And I think in the hubbub we're walking and the guy didn't end up getting paid. I meant to pay him. Did the maitre d' just give up on trying to get you into the restaurant? Yeah, he, he tried several times. He's like, no, no, Pad Pong Market not open when right. raining. And we're like, yes, it is. No, you, know, you come inside, nice dinner, very good price. You come in, you come in. See, so he I, spoke pretty, okay. pretty good English. Oh, yeah. His English was really good. Yeah. We're sort of stomping out of there. And the could, you look through the, could you look through the door and see a virtually empty restaurant, Kevin, with just the guys in the kitchens kind of peering out? Or was it, it, was, it was actually pretty busy. Oh, it was busy. It was, a pretty, it was a pretty bustling little scene and everything. Okay. We, you know, I suppose we could have gone in and probably had seafood, Thai food just fine. And it would have been <laughs> fine. We were sort of heightened evaluation and adrenaline and, you know, sort of the whole scene. And so we're walking away down the driveway from which we had come with the tuk-tuk. And the tuk-tuk driver now, he's calm, he's walking on foot following us, going, wait, wait, seven bot, seven bot. And we're going, and Kristen's going, no, no, no. And I'm trying to like take some money and go, here, dude, take it, it's fine. And then she goes, no, don't pay him and don't leave it. And, you know, and, we're, and the sunburnt Germans are over here going like, you're nine, those is seafood, Thai food, okay. And like, you know, we're walking down the thing. So he gets, we get to the street, all the other tuk-tuk drivers, there's probably like four or five other ones, and they're usually just, while they're waiting, they're kind of leaning back like it's a lazy boy chair with their feet up, and they're sort of, they got their chew or their, you know, spike that they're picking their, you know, chew out of their teeth with and spitting and being aggressive or whatever. And so, like, we get out to the street, and the guy who had been our tuk-tuk driver gets back in his tuk-tuk, and, 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 and like, goes and drives down, and then we're walking down the street. He goes past us and then goes around and, like, creates a block in front of us. Like, he blocks us with his tuk-tuk on this little narrow sort of cobblestone street. And he gets out, and he kind of, like, puts his hand out. Seven bot, you're not getting past me. And then all of the other tuk-tuk drivers, because we had just walked out of the gate of the restaurant for the driveway into the restaurant, they're starting to look, and they're kind of standing up like, oh, we're going to see something here. What's going to happen, you know? I, you know, like there's that thing of like, I'm scooting Kristen kind of behind me. And I'm like, this is going to fucking hurt. I, I had, if you remember, our, our, we actually just talked about it recently. I had my collarbone busted and that was right in that same season. It was before I had surgery on it. So I was walking around with kind of a semi-healed gooey clavicle on my, on my shoulder, which actually hurt even at that point, just to wear a, a backpack still with a backpack strap. So I'm like, this is not going to be good. <laughs> I'm like, you know, compromised already. It's 11 o'clock at night. It's monsoon. It's raining. I don't speak the language. This dude's pissed. He's probably a retired kickboxer. He's going to roundhouse me right in the head. He's going to take my backpack, all of our stuff. And then it's just going to be, I'm going to be in a like hospital in Bangkok and it's going to suck. Up the street is walking this, this Indian guy and he's got a, a turban on. We suddenly, for whatever reason, we felt like he could be kind of this distraction, like a witness, right? instantaneously put and then there's you know some more traffic and some more people and we go over to this guy and we say excuse me excuse me like in a big sort of display of overly demonstrative excuse me sir hi hello excuse me, hi um do you do you by chance know where padpong market is and the guy says, oh hello good evening yes um well padpong market is so it's, it's about two kilometers this way you need to go down here well why don't i just take you well yes please we would love that that would be that would be delightful lovely and so we sort of like walk with him and sort of walk and, and they had never really, the, the tuk-tuk driver didn't pursue us past then. I don't know if it was because there was now a witness and they didn't want to do any violence or he maybe felt guilty because he did take us to the wrong place knowingly. But the nice man from India took us to the end of the street 
and pointed to us to the direction of where Padpong Market was. And he said, no, have a very good evening. Thank you very much. And, you know, off we went. But uh, it was, it was um, I don't know, maybe it was a close call. This was what could have been a very dangerous situation. I think so. You know, looking back on it, I feel like we kind of got out by the skin of our teeth of that particular little pickle. I mean, I think the guy would have had no problem, like, knocking me on the head and grabbing all of our stuff and disappearing. Dark street, nighttime, no one around, you know, I mean, other than his other tuk-tuk buddies. And it became really frustrating because we were, we were constantly being taken to the wrong places by taxis. And then we sort of found out that that was kind of a common thing that they would do with American tourists. Take you to the wrong place, charge you too much for taxis. You know, you're trying to figure out what the exchange rate is for bot and how much the dollar, how many dollars that is to take me to the, I want you, you're trying to go to Wat Prakau. This is the temple of the Emerald Buddha, but there's a temple of an Emerald Buddha, like on every corner. And so, yeah, it's right there. The temple of the Emerald Buddha, go ahead, knock yourself out. That was getting kind of weird. And, you know, we felt like everywhere we tried to go or get to, we had to be extra on guard. If I remember correctly, weren't you guys in a hotel room, in your hotel room, middle of the night, and you and Kristen Lee just said, let's get out of here. <laughs> we just, you felt so unsafe. That kind of sticks with me that something like that you happened. You remembered it, right? Yes. yes. Is yes. that right? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we were there for, I, I don't know, a, a total time of like, I don't know, 10 days or so. We, we flew into Bangkok, spent some time in Bangkok, and then took a flight up to Chiang Mai which is a couple hours. It'd be like flying from like LA to Denver or something and spent time in Chiang Mai with my aunt and uncle. And that was amazing. That was, you know, Chiang Mai is like an old, old city surrounded by a moat. And we went to like Thai cooking school and wonderfully, extraordinarily beautiful Buddhist temple up on the hill. It's, it's sort of in the, this, this valley, but the foothills are fast rising up toward the same mountain range as Mount Everest. You're right there uh, against the Himalayas. The Himalayas, yeah. So we had had a lovely time. I mean, it'd been, it was really, really cool. Amazing food. We went down to the Gulf of Thailand and stayed on this little teeny island called Koh Samui, where they, you know, it's this huge coconut plantation where they export apparently like a million coconuts a month off of this island. It's just a tropical paradise that you you know, would just imagine in your wildest dreams. It's just, uh, it's, it was unreal. Our departing flight was back out of Can- uh, Bangkok. And so we went back down to Bangkok. And I think we had a couple of days where we were going to see some more sites and do some more things. We were in the hotel room. I think we had another day left and Kristen kind of woke me up. It was probably, I don't know, one or two o'clock in the morning. She's like, let's get the hell out of here. I'm like, right now? Like it's three o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. She's like, yeah, let's pack up our shit and let's get out of here. Let's go to the airport. We'll just get on a standby flight. And I'm like, okay. So we packed up and boogied. You know, if she has that feeling, then probably, probably good intuition there and probably a good idea that you guys got out while you did. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. It was, it was perhaps we, we take a little bit for granted of how, how safe things are, how much of our routine is kind of predictable and, and how different it can be. I mean, using Padpong Market as just one example, while we were touring around in Padpong Market when we finally made it there that evening, it is literally the most corrupt and slimy underbelly of society, like those nighttime scenes in those markets and, and literally in Blade Runner. I mean, you're, you're walking in these, imagine a flea market in an Asian country at night, so it's like 100% humidity, thunder and lightning, like coming down and torrential rain. But there are these covers and tarps and canopies over all of these goods, like all of the fake but Rolexes. Le- but and, leaking intermittently, right? So there's water this, dripping down. It's pouring down and there's yeah. like, you know, the torrential like runoff going down the gutters. And it's just absolute, absolute chaos and madness. Um, it's hot. It's steamy. All of the smells of food cooking and people. And so you're walking by these establishments. And literally there are people that are like the host at the door and they're holding, there's several cases where we go past doorways of various establishments and and they're, they're holding pictures for like prostitution. Here's a picture of what you can get with diagrams of like, here's what can be done to you. Do you like it this way or do you like it that (laughs) way? Just point at the menu like you're at Burger King. I want that one. And, And they'll take you inside and you pay the money and you know, you get your service and that was that and you're on your way and, and it, head is, on out. is prostitution legal there or did they just turn this turn a blind eye kind of deal? I would imagine that they turn a blind eye. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of 
laws, but I, the police, from what I understood and learned while being there, are, are just absolutely in everybody's pocket. It just depends who has the money to pay them and keep them at bay. And and, and uh, who's going to the market, Kevin? It's got to be tourists, no? I mean, it's mostly are, tourists. Are lo- oh, yeah. For, yeah, for the most part, yeah. So it's an international tourist trade, the definition of a thieves market. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there, there, there was something that really stands out in my mind. So leprosy is, is still a big problem in Thailand. You see people, homeless people that have leprosy that are panhandling on the streets or at night walking through like a, a place like Padpong and they've got people with them that are sort of taking advantage of their condition or maybe they're all sort of cohorts in this enterprise, but there was one case where this person that had a very serious leprosy, like literally their face, that there was no nose, no ears. You could see eyes and you could see like what used to be lips and like teeth, almost like a skeleton with skin. They had around this person's neck a speaker, like a mini, like a little pig nose amp that you would play like a really small little like eight by eight little amplifier around this person's neck. And this person was amplified and they were singing. And they had people around him, probably like a, a crowd, a little band, and they were like mobile walking through this pad pong market. And the person was singing in Thai, and it was just the most sort of hellish, unique, hellish, <laughs> yeah. nightmarish display that I've, I've ever seen. But, you know, like this, and like this really loud, crazy, and they were like playing drums and like hitting these like little cymbal type metal instruments. And they were putting like baskets out in front of you saying like, look, we're performing, pay us for this performance. And so you're going from that to like a menu of like what the prostitution offerings are in this establishment. And you can go over here and get some fake Oakley sunglasses and a fake Rolex and, you know, buy some, you know, like traditional Thai woodwork from the region. And it's just, it was, <laughs> it was, it was, it definitely takes your senses on a, on a wild roller coaster. Sign me up, for man. Sure. Sign me up. I want to, I yeah. want to take the wife and kids right now. <laughs> That was very much my experience when I was in the Philippines and Is that Hon- right? and Hong Kong. Um, well, when I say very much, Kevin, I had the benefit of being with close to a royal family. So no, there was security details around us all the time. My first wife's family, her great grandfather was president of the Philippines. You know, they still had, they had great stature. Her uncle was president of a very big bank there. They were the very wealthy. We can save that for another episode, but that was my exposure. That's where I really saw just incredible poverty and then incredible wealth just hard on top of each other. And that was even coming from New York and knowing the South Bronx and what could Mm -hmm. be in one neighborhood and another neighborhood the this was pretty intense and the the begging of small children on the street grabbing yeah. grabbing please sir please i mean it was still when i think about it it was it was pretty extraordinary and then spending time there and starting to l- relax a little bit my american psyche i wouldn't say i necessarily got into the rhythm but start to just maybe understand some of it not really mm-hmm necessarily agree with things but understand it's just uh, it it is it is otherworldly uh truly and hard to hard to process it really uh, is you like your your processing capability doesn't quite exist yet until you spend some time there to you like you say get get sort of accustomed to it get acclimated and then then you're kind of processing it but it takes it takes some time Oh yeah, we. Uh, I mean, there was, and we we were engaged at the time, so this was a big deal. This was mm-hmm. we were coming home, and it was it was a big deal, and there was a lot of pomp and circumstance around this, and we were we were the you know the American couple that had come back, and so it was uh, a, the we were the focus of attention for we were traveling maybe three weeks the whole time, but about ten days or so in Manila and in the north in Vigan where the summer, where the summer palace was Marcos's mm-hmm. summer palace. And, and the family had, there was a museum there. The old family, wow. the family's old house had been turned into a museum. So that culture shock was, was pretty intense. And I came with uh, just on a tangent here, the American notion of democracy and 
Oh, sure. Marco said yeah. they, they, this, had, this was just after the, the coup that had taken place and the beginning of the rise of Cory Aquino. The coup basically consisted of the army barracks on either side of this major thoroughfare, EDSA. The Filipinos are all about convenience. So the, the military just crossed the road. They went, you know, screw you, cross the road. And, and the, <laughs> that was the coup. <laughs> they just went, yeah. Done. All right, we good? Let's all right, have, let's have lunch. I mean, they're really yeah. Asians with a Jewish mentality. They're just love eating. <laughs> and it's just, I really love the Filipino people. But well, you're saying when you have somebody there, and we had thought about that a lot, and we had that to a certain extent with my aunt and uncle in Chiang Mai because they're locals and lived there for many years and kind of knew their way around and where to go and the markets and the restaurants and the sites and everything. Um, but we thought, geez, to have, like you were describing for the Philippines, to have local feet on the ground, experience, connections, guides, that would make all the difference in the world. So I would, you know, anytime anybody's going to be doing something that's, you know, perhaps outside of their typical level of experience or comfort, especially in a really, really exotic place, definitely have a fixer or have a, have a guide, you know, local on the ground people that, you know, and trust that can take care of you. Cause that can make all the difference in the world from oh. having it be dangerous and, and sketchy to actually fun and enjoyable. Yeah. Let me tell you, I think that's probably the way to travel. Although you guys were incredibly bold, but we'll share a story. Kristen and I traveling into Milan in a cab ride from hell that Kevin, again, <laughs> I'm a New Yorker. I thought we're going to die in this cab. Yeah. I mean, this this guy got into a brawl with <laughs> with some other cabbies as we were driving, and it was like it was we were in the cab, uh, we were had an interior point of view inside a taxi from every great French and Italian movie car chase sequence that you've seen. We right. were in it. In, yeah. in these streets, yeah, this was actually going down. You and you pulled an Italian job, literally. We were in the Italian, we were in the Italian job, and it was it, it was all it was amazing and just completely terrifying. I'll save that for another story. So even <laughs> even in a you know Milano, an allegedly civilized city, sure. you're still you're strangers in a strange land, and you never know what's going to happen. But I think in Asia, in particular it was similar to what you guys experienced, but we were protected. So I never had yeah. that sense of never, ever had that sense of fear. I mean, it, that was, that was very, it's, very it's different. Visceral, from what you, right. Oh. I mean, it's, you don't quite, there's words don't, don't communicate or don't do it justice on, on the sense that as an American traveling abroad, I feel like, okay, I can, I can blend in in Europe, right? I, I can chit chat in enough languages to where I can sort of blend in, smile, do the right. There are other places in the world where you're not going to blend in at all. It just isn't. You don't speak the language. You don't know the customs and the rules of engagement and, and how things work. Um, one of the things that, that when we were on the street, particularly at tourist attractions like temples and, and sites and things like that, where people would constantly come up and either panhandle, want to take you somewhere, oh, we'll show you where this is, or we'll take you there, or do you need a taxi ride, or do you need a tour guide? And it was overwhelming. It was just a constant barrage whenever we were in public of just like, here, here, we'll take you here, we'll do this. And we started turning our cameras and saying, can we take your picture? And as soon as we turned our picture, our camera and said, we'd like to take your picture, a lot of times people would would, would scatter. They There was something with, and I don't know all of, of the... The, the customs around it or what reason was, but that <laughs> the was reason like was our, there was going to be proof for the crooked cops oh, sure. that, uh, you know, I don't know if it was anything like you were stealing their soul when you were taking the picture, but I, we thought it could have had something to do with that. Maybe a little bit. We weren't yeah, sure, but yeah. I think we, it was we just, felt like, Oh gosh, we have a defense mechanism. Get uh, the camera out. Yeah. Get there's going to be proof. Us. That was what in, in the Philippines, when we flew in, you know, from the air, you, it's extraordinary. It's what a thousand islands, Kevin. Wow, and the, it's yeah. just amazing. And the water, Water, my God, that's just just the. At that point, the Carl was was amazing, but of course, these idiots were dynamite fishing, and then they and not only were they dynamite fishing, they had this thing where they had these generators. They'd run a charge into the bay. It was horrifying. It was right. horrifying, like just the way the way they from my sensibilities. Oh my God, you guys are just killing everything you have here. This is crazy. Right. And it's so lush and so beautiful and so ancient, so filled with history. But we landed in, and I, this, this is where I first saw in my life, people living in a garbage dump. I mean, I saw poverty in Mexico, but I had not seen it to this extent. And right. here we are in it, you know, with armed security guards in the car being driven 
And every traffic light, the Sampaquitas, the flowers are selling, hustling, and that's that please, sir. That's stuck with right. me forever. Tugging, uh, American boy, American boy, take me with you. It was, uh, yeah, cra- it was yeah. crazy, man. It was really unsettling, and it was it was not a movie. It was real. It, it was, yeah, you think it's like, oh, this is living. a movie set. This yeah, is special right. effects, but this right. is absolute real life. It, this is real life. Yeah. yeah, I think the tone of this, and this is good. We should talk more because we've traveled a little bit. You've traveled a lot, yeah. a bit, I think. And and uh, I want to say, and I'm going to be wrong, but I want to say the percentage of Americans. I got to Google this for the next time. The percentage of Americans that hold passports, Kevin, I, I think it's under 25. percent um, It's insane. It's pretty it's low, insane, and I think know? that that contributes a lot to that sort of naivete that that borders on aggression you know, of, of xenophobia and the rest of it that were so under a microscope these days, you know, most of these people that, that feel disenfranchised and, you know, not looked after and whatnot, they haven't left their bubble. And if their bubble is toxic and they've had multiple generations of input that is, you know, negative or racist or, you know, ultra narrow minded or whatever, they don't have any scope of reference. And until, you th- leave your town or your village or your little burg of wherever you live out in the middle of nowhere. You've experienced it. I've experienced it. Like when you meet people and most of the, I mean, the very first time we ever went to, to Europe, um, Kristen and I in like 1994, it was Christmas time. It was like middle of winter and we were planning and we were going, we got this really good deal, you know, off season tickets. It was like round trip for like 400 and something dollars to Paris. And I remember hearing from people like, oh, you're going to Paris? Like the, the French hate Americans. And I'm like, is that what it was like when you went there? And like, oh, no, no, I've never been there. And I'm thinking, how, well, how do you possibly know what it's, what it's like? And every place that I went, you know, it was awesome. And the people were friendly and inviting and helpful and courteous and hospitable. And it was amazing, you know? And so travel is extraordinarily important. And I think is probably to fast forward to the conclusion. I mean, it's like, it's such a bridge to world peace or it's a bridge to friendship. So dig this. This is interesting. According to Census and State Department data, 21.4 million passports were issued in 2016, which is the most ever. That wow. means 42% of Americans hold a passport. That's double what I just said. Mm-hmm. A growth, though, a growth of 15% since 2007. Now check this out. In 1990, only 4% of Americans had a passport. Four? Four percent. That's insane. That explains a lot. 30 years ago, Kevin, think of that age of people now. Think of what is going on right now. 30 years ago, 4% of the population had a passport. I'm encouraged to see 42%. That's huge leaps, yeah. But but I would say Americans, (laughs) here's Americans... Think about the crush of immigration that we've had over that over the last at least two decades right. and how many multinationals or people that came from other places and now are American citizens. I wonder how that settles down. If you look at the if you just look at the chart here, it's just it's just going I mean straight up. But that's amazing from a four percent number thirty yeah. years ago to forty two percent. But that's still that means, you know, sitting or you're sitting about sixty percent of the population does not have a passport. Yeah, it's that's still- it's wild when you go to these places, too. And I think a lot of when when we talk about so much of like what's going on in the news and like you hear about, OK, so uh, a lot of what is being shared in the news feeds right now about many of those who like stormed the U.S. Capitol on January 6th had faced all sorts of varying degrees of financial hardships and were on assistance and, you know, lack of education and very sort of narrow levels of exposure in many cases. What I juxtapose next to that sort of hostility and aggression and xenophobia and racism and and that is that so many of the places that we've gone where there's just abject poverty and hand-to-mouth, day-to-day, hour-to-hour survival, you meet people and they're going to give you everything that they have. 
as poor as they are. Like, come in, like here, we, we're spread out the food and everybody's coming in, you know, like get the family and, you know, and you're going like, these people don't really have very much at all. Like, this is it for today. And like tomorrow, hopefully they'll make enough to have this again. And like, it's not, there's nothing in the fridge or the pantry, but it's like this super level of generosity and, and hospitality and come in and I'm curious and we're smiling. And it's like, that gives you a whole other type of, of like visceral education that you can only really truly experience by being there. I feel very grateful and very fortunate that I've had the opportunity since I'm a kid to to see different places and have a have a desire to, to even with well. all the even with like, all the danger. I love that you I love that you mentioned that and we finish up with that positive note because we focused a lot on the on the the danger, on the feeling unsafe, on this on the strangeness, on the newness, but within that there are amazing experiences. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to be in danger to have these experiences, but but you're right. The majority of people that you meet are not looking to hustle or hurt you, but right. are looking to have that connection with you. Yep. This goes to the thing we were talking about yesterday a little bit, which is uh, the mutant hospitality gene. Just people have that inherently. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's, come experience my world. Let us, yeah. let us show you. Let us share with you. And that's... It's a very human thing. It yeah. gets convoluted when you're in a, you know, in a tuk tuk with a twitchy guy being taken down a, <laughs> a, a steamy wet alley, and uh, and it's all about seafood Thai food. And I read that seafood Thai food, Kevin. That has stuck uh-huh. with me from the time for twenty years ago when you. <laughs> We'll still that say market not open when raining. I, th- that part I don't remember. I don't remember you telling, but it's, it's glorious. You come in seafood Thai food. But Kristen and I, if we're, if we're going for Thai food, you know, it's always seafood Thai food. We have seafood. seafood, thai food. It's stuck. It is stuck forever. I just had to put in that clip of James Hong as the maitre d in the classic Cartwright episode from Seinfeld. James just turned ninety-two in February and is a wonderful talent, still going strong. Whether you're part of the 42% of Americans that have passports, or the 58% that have the opportunity to get theirs, I hope you enjoyed hanging with Kevin and I today. World travel will slowly come back, so you've got time to get that passport and get ready for your next, or first, great adventure. It's all out there for us. I hope you'll join me again with new episodes dropping every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Mountain Time. Until then, stay safe, and remember, you'll find No Bed of Roses wherever you find fine podcasts. And now on YouTube at No Bed of Roses Podcast. Thanks. Stay safe. See you soon.